Hello and, and welcome. It's so wonderful uh, to be with you uh, here today. It, it's been uh, a while, but it's a joy to be with you online again. Or if you're watching this in one of our venues, it's a joy to be with you uh, as well. Uh, my name's Andy. Uh, I work here at Everyday Church uh, in Wimbledon, where we uh, record uh, these online sermons. But wherever you are in the world watching this, uh, I'm just so glad that you're with us um, today. Um, today, we're going to be building on Simon's excellent sermon that he preached last week, introducing us to John's gospel. Uh, and today, we're looking at John 1, 1 to 18. What a passage. It's stuffed full of beautiful truth for us. I'm particularly indebted to my friend uh, Liam Thatcher for his wonderful insights on this passage. Now these verses uh, are collectively known as the prologue of John's gospel and prologue is just a fancy word for an introduction. Now uh, to just to illustrate what a, a prologue is, I'm a big fan of uh, a TV show called Richard Osman's House of Games. And one of the games that he has on this TV show is called Highbrow, Lowbrow, in which he will have a, a highbrow question, like I, a really difficult one, an academic one, and a lowbrow one, sort of popular culture one, that will both have the same answer. And if you can get it on the highbrow one, hey, you get double, double points. And so here's my highbrow and lowbrow introduction to what a prologue is. Is. Now, highbrow. So a prologue is a bit like an overture to uh, a bit of classical music. Uh, so this is a, a, an introduction to a, a longer symphony or suite of music. And in it, the composer is just trying to introduce a number of themes for us to think about and to, to hint at later. So um, Zach is going to just uh, overdub some music now, in, um, uh, and you're going to be able to hear this uh, introduction to Mozart's Don Giovanni um, opera. So uh, play that music now. Now, as, as this goes on, just in a, in a few seconds' time, I'm going to give you a hint of when uh, some new, uh, a new sound is going to come in. So listen out for it just here. Can you see how Mozart is weaving in a new bit of music, a hint at what is to come? He's giving us just that insight into themes that he's going to develop much further on in, his, um, in, in, in this opera. That's what, uh, that's what John is also doing in this prologue. He's introducing themes and uh, concepts to us that he's going to uh, play out much fuller on in the gospel that's to come. So that's the highbrow. Uh, the lowbrow is that this prologue is like a teaser trailer. If you've been following or waiting for a next, uh, like Netflix series or a movie, and the first thing they release is a teaser trailer, which just, again, hints in the like, vaguest terms about what is to come, this prologue is just like that. So this prologue serves as an introduction to the rest of the gospel. It brings our attention, uh, to, th it brings our attention to themes that John will later explore in more depth. And right from the off, we'll see that John wants us to focus on who Jesus is. So the way that I'm going to approach this passage today is basically asking, what does this passage tell us about Jesus? And I think there are six things that this passage, these verses tell us about Jesus. So we're going to take that one at a time. Now, none of these will be comprehensive, but remember, this is the prologue. This is just like a teaser trailer. We're going to hit at themes now that we're going to explore in the weeks and months to come. It's going to be a wonderful journey through John's gospel.
So let me read the first five verses um, of this prologue, and they'll be uh, on the screen for you as well. So reading from verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind, the light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Uh, see how John starts his gospel in the beginning. Does that remind you of anything? Now, these are some of the most famous words in the Bible. They are from its very start. They are the first words in the Bible. Genesis 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, I contrast the start, uh, John's start here in the prologue um, with the starts of Matthew's gospel or Luke's gospel. Uh, Matthew's gospel, he has this genealogy. So looking at Jesus and going back through all the generations, he go back to Abraham, which is a really significant theme for him. Uh, Luke's gospel, uh, in Luke's gospel, he takes us all the way back to Adam. But here, John is drawing our minds even further back to the very beginning of everything. Just to get you to see these, um, just how similar these two passages are, uh, let me put on the screen now Genesis 1, 1 to 3, and John 1, 1 to 5, side by side on the screen together, just so you can see the similarities between them. Uh, can you see the familiar themes of creation, uh, light and darkness? Look at Genesis 1, verse 3, John 1, um, 4 to 5. See how they're both talking about light and darkness. See how they're both talking about a word spoken and something happening. Uh, John, in his prologue, basically rips Genesis 1, verse 1 into two pieces. In the beginning, God... And then in this middle bit, he introduces a new theme and puts in some new fundamental truths to help us understand who Jesus is. In that middle bit between in the beginning, God, he sticks these other words. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. John is expanding upon this ancient truth that God is creator by marrying it to the idea of the word. So the word in Greek is logos, and it was this principle in Greek philosophy of this impersonal principle of reason that gave order to the universe, or this divine force of reason which governs uh, the universe. Uh, logos, this um, concept of the word has actually endured in different studies that we have of uh, different subjects. Think of geology, theology, cosmology. All of that means words about that topic. John is saying that this great ordering principle, this great creative power, that's not some impersonal force that's unknowable, that's Jesus. This is a truth that's far, far better than some impersonal logos. No, this is a, a personal being that we can get to know. And, and John tells us a few things about this logos, this word. Let me reread verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. D did, you, did you catch that? The Word was with God, distinct from, but also, secondly, the Word was God, the, the same as. Said so succinctly, but no less full of truth because of it. This is the, the essence of the Trinity, unity and diversity in one. At verse 2, he was with God in the beginning. 
This feels like a repetition of verse one, doesn't it? You're like, hey, John, this, you just told us this. You're like, yep, well, welcome to John's gospel. This will be a familiar thing that we uh, pick up on through his gospel. It feels like John sometimes just meditates on a particular point, like round and round he goes. He circulates on it. He seems to say some things two or three times to us. It's kind of like a man with a diamond just catching a new glint of it in the light and just enjoying that moment and savoring it and seeing it from a slightly different angle. So too does John uh, do it with particular themes and concepts throughout his gospel. Verse 3, through him all things were made, without him nothing Uh, Nothing was made that has been made. Emphatically clear that this word is the creator, not not created. Verse 4 and 5. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The word is the source of life given to all humanity. He is the light that will relentlessly shine, so much so that nothing can withstand it. So the first thing we learn about Jesus in John's prologue is that he is the eternal word. Now, if you're anything like me, at this point, your brain is hurting just a little bit and you've got a long list of questions for John. But John doesn't even attempt to answer those questions just right now. He just lays it out and moves on. And in doing so, he completely unapologetically, utterly blows apart any preconceptions that we may have had about God. The first thing that John 1 teaches us is that God is more complex than we think. The second thing that John, uh, this, um, that John 1 teaches us is that God is closer than we think. That it doesn't just matter that you believe in God, it matters what you believe about God. In particular, what you believe about God as revealed through Jesus. But... More of that as we progress uh, through this uh, passage. Uh, For now, the second thing that we learn, um, let's follow John through verses uh, 6 to 9. Let me read those. There was a man from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He only came as a witness to the light. The true light that gives uh, light to everyone was coming into the world. Now, confusingly for us, in these verses, um, John, referred to in verse 6, is not referring to John who wrote the gospel. Oh, no, no. This, is, uh, this John is uh, John the Baptist, as the rest of John 1 will make clear. Now, remembering that this uh, prologue is an introduction like a teaser trailer, uh, so John isn't referred to in depth here. We'll learn more about him in the next couple of weeks. But here, John, the gospel writer, is effectively saying that John the Baptist is not the guy. John the Baptist was an amazing prophet, but he was pointing to someone else. And that someone else, that's Jesus. And this Jesus is the light of the world. He's the true light. And this theme of light dominates these early verses. And again, we'll return to this theme of light in coming weeks and months. It's a major theme for John. So what has John told us so far about Jesus? Well, verses 1 to 5, that Jesus is the eternal word. Verses 6 to 9, that Jesus is the true light, and it's definitely not John the Baptist. Verses 10 to 13 tell us the third thing, that Jesus presents us with a choice. Let me read those three. He was in the world, and through the world, and sorry, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. 
He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor a husband's will, but born of God. Uh, These are at the same time comforting and sobering verses. Uh, John is telling us here that there is a choice for each of us to make. And it's all to do with whether we receive Jesus or not. Uh, There is great comfort here. See how these verses end. If you receive Jesus, you will become a child of God. With the clear implication that if you don't, then you won't. Again, these verses are a nod ahead to what's, uh, for what's to come in John's gospel. John's gospel contains loads of stories of individuals encountering Jesus and receiving him. Many of these stories are world famous. And if you stick with us through this series, we'll look at each one in depth together as we progress through this gospel. Each of these encounters has a common theme. Normal, everyday people having life-changing encounters with the eternal eternal word and true light, Jesus. Isn't this a wonder that we can encounter God like this too? Now, when we're recording this, we've uh, recently celebrated Christmas. Uh, Christmas, this great Christian festival celebrating the birth of Jesus. Uh, There's one particular Christmas carol that's uh, very regular in most services, O Little Town of Bethlehem. Now, listen out for the language of John 1 at the end of the first verse that I'll read. So I'm actually going to read the last, the final two verses of the carol to you. But listen out for the language of John 1. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born to us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad, gliding, well, great glad tidings tell. Oh, come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. And this is not just an empty plea. This is the wonder of the Christian faith. As John says at the start of verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now, we're going to pause on this idea just for a few minutes because it's worldview forming. It's a big deal. So let's spend some time together thinking about it. Uh, Let me ask you a big question. Can we meaningfully know God? And let's be honest that there are a few ideas that would lead us to answer this question. Can we meaningfully know God with a resounding no? There are so many different ideas about God. Is he one or many or does he even exist? Is there is everything divine or is this is there a creator creature divide? So many people sincerely believe in different things. Surely to focus on just one religion is arrogantly saying that so many other people are wrong. Or have you ever asked the question, what if I was born elsewhere? If I was born into another part of the world and into another family, would I be a Hindu or a Muslim or a Christian? These thoughts would rightly lead us to doubt whether any of us can truly know what or who God is. He can either seem incredibly distant or his nature veiled in confusion. And with so many perspectives about who he is out there, who knows which is the right one? 
we might think it easier just to say that everyone's idea about God must be equally valid because, um, because we can only grasp the truth about God from our own limited perspective. There have been a number of illustrations developed, or at least are widely told, that try to express something of this confusion and of man's limited perspective on the divine. Uh, how many of you, of you are familiar with uh, this one? Uh, let me tell you the story associated with it. Four blind men are walking along when they come upon an elephant. And not sure what it is, they each begin to, to feel around, hoping to discover the nature of what they've found. One grabs the elephant's trunk and declares, oh, this is a, a big snake. Another feels the leg and goes, no, 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 this is a tree. The third man grasps the tail and posits, no, 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 this is a rope. The final man feels the big side of the elephant and says, no, no, this is a wall. Now, why are all the men wrong? They are wrong because they are trying to deduce and declare the nature of something much larger than themselves based solely on their own limited perspective. God is like the elephant in this popular, says this popular analogy, and we are like the blind men, so sure of our own ideas about God while being blind to the truths about him experienced by others and to the more expansive nature of, this be, of his being. How insolent, how pretentious to assume that any one human perspective about God is the only correct one. Or are you familiar with this story of the mountain? It says that there are hundreds of paths right up to the top of the mountain, and at that top is the divine or ultimate truth. And all these paths are leading up in the same direction, so it doesn't matter which one you take, you'll get there eventually. With our own limited perspective, we can think that ours is the only right path, but the truth is that whatever path you take, it will get you to the top, to divinity or God eventually. But both of these illustrations, while trying to point us towards an approach to faith that says everyone's right, actually prove to be quite arrogant in themselves. Now, why are these illustrations inadequate in describing reality? On the one hand, both of these illustrations seem to convey something of our struggle to know the divine. But on the other, a simple question unlocks the fallacy in both of them. And it's found in the question, where is the narrator standing in this story? Who is the person in the story that can see that it is in fact an elephant that the blind man is feeling? Or who is the only person in the story who can actually see? It's the narrator who is claiming to be able to see the whole truth while everyone else is blind. Where does the person need to stand to see that all of the paths lead up to the top of the mountain? You have to be at the top of the mountain itself, which is some claim if you think that God, the, an all-knowing one, is supposed to sit at the top of that mountain. The difficulty with these illustrations is that if someone is to agree with them, they declare themselves to be unlike the blind men or unlike the ignorant travelers up the mountain. Instead, they are saying that they alone can see the whole truth. And so it seems to be an inadequate answer to our question of if we can meaningfully know God to say no, because there are so many and so many different perspectives on who and what God is. So where does this leave us in our meaningful uh, search for meaningful knowledge about God? Where can we turn to to help us in our search for ultimate meaning and truth? 
it points us further into question of what God is like. It forces us to weigh up these different truth claims about God and to see what they say about who God is. We need to look at these different perspectives. And this is why John 1.14 is such a game changer. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. So far from saying that God is unknowable or distant or confusing, Christianity paints a picture of a God who longs to know us and for us to know him, of a God who comes to us. You see, Christianity is not a narrative of man's upward search for God, but of a God who comes down to us so that we can know him. It's a story of a God who reveals himself to people. Now, without wanting to state it too irreverently or compare God too strongly with an elephant. But to use that language of the elephant in illustration, what if the elephant could speak and tell us what he was like? Or think of the mountain. What if God himself came down from the top of the mountain to meet us at the bottom so that we can know him and be known by him? The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now I find this thought greatly comforting because it means that we as humans can enjoy this process of exploring who God is and who he has revealed himself to be through the person of Jesus. Christianity points us towards a God who has made himself knowable through the person of Jesus Christ. And so God is not distant or confusing, but someone we can meaningfully know as we look to Jesus. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. As we move on, let's remind ourselves of what this passage has told us so far. So what's this passage told us so far about who Jesus is? Verses 1 to 5, Jesus is the eternal word. Verses 6 to 9, Jesus is the true light, and it's definitely not John the Baptist. Um, Verses 10 to 13, Jesus presents us with a choice. And this in verse 14, the first bit of it, Jesus is God dwelling amongst us. So let's read, uh, quickly read the, the rest of verses 14 to 17. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Oh, I love these words, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me um, because I was before him. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Did you get this wonderful contrast in these verses? That Jesus brought not law, but grace and truth. Now if you journeyed with us through our Galatians series uh, that we did uh, in, in last term, these will be familiar concepts to you. That Jesus fulfilled the law for us so we don't have to. Instead, we are given grace and truth and mercy and we can know God and become more like him. If you want to find out more about those, dive into that series. Loads of good things to dwell on there. Let me finish this with looking at verse 18. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who, has, who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father who has made him known. God has revealed to us who he is. We are not left guessing. This whole verse, this whole sermon sums up why we as Christians are so keen to learn about Jesus. 
because far from being distant, we believe that Jesus makes God known. He reveals to us who God is like and how wonderful the things that Jesus reveals to us that God is like. Verse 18 for me sums up why we should read on and why you should stick with us through this, John's, uh, this series through John's Gospel. Jesus makes God known. If you want to know what God is like, we need to look to Jesus. And that's John's encouragement to us. We will uh, most likely be where I end up too. My application for this sermon is worship. This is um, us drawing on this passage and going, wow, this is who God is. And so um, if you have questions arising from this sermon, do you know what? That's the point. Read on. Join us in John's gospel. Like a master composer, John has put together this overture. Like a award-winning editor, he's released this teaser trailer. At the end of these verses, we're left with a ton of questions, but that's just the way he wants it. His invitation is if you want to come, uh, you, like come with him. And if we do, we'll find loads of answers to these questions. He wants to invite you to explore the claims of Jesus for yourself. And that's what we're going to do in this series. So come and join us in this journey. Uh, but for now, as I say, let's turn to God in worship and wonder. Let's sing to him this God who reveals himself to us in the person of Jesus.